Our text this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 30 and 31. We have been using a psalm text to launch into our study of Bible prophecy and right now focusing on Revelation. But this passage in Hebrews says, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, and I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We've been looking at Bible prophecy in an attempt to understand the alarming events that we see taking place in our world today. We've seen that the events of the last times plays out on two stages, one in heaven and one on the earth. The one in heaven is for the church age believers that are raptured And the one on the earth is for those uh, at the coming of Christ for the rapture that are unbelievers. And uh, it is the completion of the Jewish administration period. Having investigated the revelation that is given to us concerning the playing out of that drama in heaven, we have been focusing now upon the stage here upon the earth and reviewing the script that documents that drama that is going to unfold. And of course, the book of Revelation is the primary script, though there is a harmonization of that with some New Testament passages, and then, of course, the correlation between some of the Old Testament prophets. The book of Revelation and the prophecies that we find in the Bible with reference to Israel detail for us, I I hesitate to use that word detail, but lay out for us uh, many of the aspects of that period of judgment that's going to come upon the world, though there are details that we would like to have, of course, that the Bible does not disclose. Now, for the past two weeks, we have been in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation. In the 14th chapter, we have seven visions that John records for us as they are revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we come this morning to the sixth and the seventh of those visions, beginning in Revelation chapter 14 beginning at verse 14. John says, I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud set like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and having in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, 
For the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. This is a vision that presents to us the judgment of God. The judge is actually pictured here as the one who reaps the earth. The reaper is identified in the text as the Son of Man. John said, I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle like unto the Son of Man. Humoin huyo anthropu in the Greek, liberty declares the Son of Man, like the Son of Man. That's an interesting term that we're introduced to in the New Testament as it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ as God became flesh in order that in human form He might meet the obligations of the law on our behalf, pay our debt, conquer our enemy death and the grave, and then ascend to heaven as our intercessor and with the promise He would come back and receive us unto Himself that we're he is, we might be also. His humanity is in view with that term, the Son of Man. Born in the virgin birth, but in a human form, without an old sin nature, qualified then to keep himself spotless from the world, that he might become our means of salvation and redemption for mankind. This phrase, like the Son of Man, is used then in reference to Christ Himself. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 26 and 27, For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Back in Revelation chapter 1, we read in verse 13, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, there was one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. The Son of Man then is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like unto a Son of Man identifies then the incarnation where deity took up form in a body of flesh and blood. As we study about Christ, we find that all judgment has been given to Him and belongs to Him in this passage that we read in John chapter 5, verses 26 
and 27, it specifically states, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. What better qualification for God to become flesh in order that he might judge the flesh of humanity. The reaping that is mentioned here in our text is not the harvesting of good wheat that is mentioned in Luke chapter 3 verse 17, but rather it is the gathering of the tares. We have reference to it in Matthew chapter 13 beginning at verse 38 where Jesus explains about the sower. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest uh, is the end of the world, and the reapers uh, are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all the things that offend them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there should be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is the harvest of the unbeliever. There will be a harvest of good believers, but this text focuses on the tares, the wicked, those that retain their sins because they've never called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Luke chapter 3 Verses 16 and 17 says, John answered saying unto them, I indeed baptize, this is John the Baptist, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will then gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. The sixth vision, as it's introduced here, is actually an introduction to the Armageddon campaign. The Old Testament prophets spoke about this occasion as well. Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 33 says, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her. Yet a little while, and the time of her harvest will come. Joel wrote it this way, Assemble yourselves, and come all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about, thither cause thy mighty ones come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened, and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. 
come and get you down, for the press is full and the, and the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. The stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of His people and the stranger of the children, uh, the strength of the children of Israel. So Satan has been sowing tares for an awful long time in the field that is white already unto harvest. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 24, speaks of a parable that Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field, and while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together unto the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So what we are seeing then in this passage in Revelation is the gathering of the tares first before the wheat is harvested. After the rapture of the church, this reaping will begin. Now, we don't want to confuse this reaping with the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment takes place at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. But there is a removal from the earth of unbelievers at the second advent of Christ preparing for the millennial reign. So this is going to occur at the second advent, but it's going to precede the millennium, going to take all unbelievers out of the earth before the millennial reign begins. John wrote here in Revelation in chapter 14, verse 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. But another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. Notice that word earth, referencing not the kingdom of God, referencing not heaven itself, 
but the harvest of the, that which the earth has produced. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was weak. So in Revelation 14, verses 14 through 16 that we've read again here, John tells us what he saw. God's judgment of those that are ungodly on the earth is now identified in two illustrations. The harvest of the earth, and then in the seventh vision, the vine of the earth. A careful examination of what we see here reveals uh, again that this is not referencing the great white throne, but prior to the establishment of the millennial kingdom as it is set forth here upon the earth. Now we noted that the judge is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that uh, designation uh, that we have in Scripture, uh, like unto a son of man, uh, the King James text uses the word thee in front of son of man, like unto the son of man. But that's word, the, the, the article, the word thee is not found in the Greek text. The reason for leaving it out is to place an emphasis upon the character and qualities of the judge rather than upon the judge himself. The judge has already been defined. And so now the emphasis is placed upon his role as character. In English, we can't uh, write very good sentences without using the article or the indefinite article. The word the or the word a or an. But in Koine Greek, there is no indefinite article. They do not have the word a or the word an in the Koine Greek language. When they want to be specific and uh, speak with specificity about a particular individual, the article would be used, the. But if you want to talk about the character and quality that's associated with this judge, uh, then we have the absence of the article. The golden crown, of course, speaks about the the royal prerogative of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and His role as Savior and ruler and reigner over the heavens and the earth uh, as it describes the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, uh, in addition to the golden crown, the sharp sickle, and uh, the sickle can only refer to reaping activity and it's mentioned only 12 times, the word sickle, only 12 times in the Bible, and seven of those times are in this portion of the book of Revelation as it focuses upon that. Now notice the angel of verse 15 came out of the temple. The one likened to the Son of Man sitting upon the cloud is another angel. And remember the word angel simply means messenger. It may be a celestial, it may be a terrestrial. It depends on the context to help us identify that. 
but the emphasis is upon the messenger. This messenger comes out of the temple in heaven, and uh, of course that's another indication we're dealing with the age of Israel when we have the word temple used there that relates to uh, the nation Israel and the establishment uh, that God gave them as a chosen people. But the Father reveals and sends the message to the uh, Son of Man then to reap. The time has come to reap and He thrusts in the sickle. It said that He was sitting on a cloud. In Matthew chapter 24 verse 30, it tells us when Christ comes, He will come in the clouds. He ascended and a cloud caught Him away and the disciples were told, as you have seen Him taken up from you, even so shall He come in like manner. Uh, we, we are told in Matthew 24:30, Then shall appear the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I mentioned he had on his head a golden crown. Uh, mentioned in verse 14, uh, the one that sat upon uh, the cloud had on his head a golden crown. The angel announces then that the time has finally come when it is time to reap. And notice the reaping again is of the tares ahead of the wheat removing the unbelievers before the millennial kingdom upon the earth. We're told in verse 16, And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now we're going to examine this reaping uh, in greater detail a little later in our progress through the book of Revelation uh, as we uh, get to that. And so, uh, we simply need to note that it is the gathering of the tares, removing of the unbelievers before the millennial kingdom is established. We move then to the seventh vision. And while the first vision is the time of the grim, grim reaper, the seventh vision then identifies for us the apostate vine. In Revelation 14 beginning at verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar uh, which had power, and that word means authority, over fire. And he cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes or fully ripe. And the angel thrust in the sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even under the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So here in verse 17, we the angel is seen leaving the temple in heaven, 
and he's equipped with a sharp sickle. And uh, again, this is the harvest of the earth having occurred. Now he is identifying and adding to that the vine, the apostate vine from which these develop. Some Bible students uh, take this book uh, within the book of Revelation claiming the reaping here of both saints and sinners, but that does not fit into the context uh, and the description of what is occurring here. Uh, we have two references, judgment uh, and then uh, the symbol of fire. Fire is always, wherever it is mentioned in Scripture, always, always a reference to some judgment that is taking place. I was amused uh, at some of the uh, denominations who, looking for a second blessing after salvation, uh, want you to seek that second blessing, and they call it the baptism of fire been baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus said, uh, or John the Baptist said, there was coming one after him, referring to Jesus as one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So they want to couple them together. And uh, fire is a symbol of judgment. So you don't want the baptism of fire. You want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You want the indwelling of the Spirit of God and not to experience the fire. Uh, there is frequently a pointing uh, to uh, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And uh, the Scripture says that the, the Spirit set upon each of them like unto cloven tongues of fire. And so they, they want to equate that with the power uh, of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but we need to understand it's either or. You either uh, are in union with the Holy Spirit or you're going to experience the judgment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, why was there cloven tongues like as of fire on the day of Pentecost? Israel was being judged. Israel had been given in, in Isaiah chapter 28. They had been given the sign that they could know when they had been replaced as the custodians of God's revelation when they were evangelized in the staccato guttural languages of the Gentiles. That occurred on the day of Pentecost in 30 AD and the beginning of the church and Israel was judged and set aside they still have seven years and we're looking, have been looking at that seven years here in the Revelation account. And what we're looking at now is the end of that seven year period. The angel from the altar had the authority over fire, a symbol then of God's judgment. And the vine of the earth is gathered we are told. The vine of the earth, again referencing the word earth as opposed to the word heaven or the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, 
Israel was symbolized by a vine that was fruitless and disappointing. We can go to Moses' writing in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, uh, or yeah, chapter 32, verses 32 and 33. For their vine is the vine of Sodom, and out of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall, their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asp. That's what Israel had become rather than being the productive vine for the kingdom. They had become this. Jesus, of course, identifies himself as the true vine. In John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, and without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Now, word of caution, once again, all Scripture must be understood in the dispensational fix that God has established. He's talking to Israel here. He's not talking to born-again Christians that are uh, barren and then are thrown into the lake of fire. That would contradict the whole concept of grace. But this is a description of Jews who racially are born as the chosen people of God that does not give them salvation. And so if they are barren and they do not relate to Him in the work that He has given them to do, they are the ones that are in focus here. We see a principle, but not the direct application of that. The psalmist gives a summary about the vine in Psalm chapter 80. Beginning at verse 80, he says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparedest room before it and didst cause it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it and the boughs thereof were like the godly of the goodly cedars. She sent out her boughs unto the sea and her branches under the river. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges 
so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her. The bear out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and behold, and visit this vine. And the vineyard, which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself, it is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. A reference then to Israel as that vine, and their being judged as a result of not following through the design of the planter of the vine. Isaiah, the prophet, speaks about this vine in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 and following. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, and men of Judah, pray, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, and I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall be pruned, it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that there rain no more rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. So the judgment that we're reading about in Revelation of the vine relates to the apostate vine. The angel thrust in his sickle under the earth and he gathered the vine of the earth and he cast it into the winepress of the wrath of God. So by the end of the tribulation, Israel will have established an alliance with the dictator of the revived Roman Empire and the harlot church and uh, the Antichrist. And Jesus cited then the failure of Israel as his reason for coming into the world as the true vine, and he grafted the church then into the vine. In Matthew 21, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to the husband and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandman that they might receive the fruit of it. And the husbandman took his servants, beat one and killed another and stoned another. 
Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They said unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render unto him the fruits of their season. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye not read in the Scripture the stone which the, stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. The wine press then results in a great slaughter that's going to come upon the earth just at the second coming of our Lord. The wine press was trodden without the city and blood came out of the wine press even under the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and two hundred furlongs. Outside the city, without the city, means outside the city of Jerusalem here in the text. And the location is identified in the valley of Jehoshaphat. I um, I never read this passage without thinking about my father. His favorite sermon to preach was multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. He uh, that that was his sugar stick. If he got a chance to preach somewhere he hadn't preached, I could pretty well bet that was going to be uh, the text he would preach. Joel writes, "Beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning hooks." Uh, into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen and gather yourselves together round about uh, their cause, uh, that their cause mighty one to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be weakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Get you down, for the press is full. The vats uh, overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Time that we're looking at is the second advent of Christ, the judgment of nations and the judgment of Israel before He ushers in the millennial age. Zechariah chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. 
and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. There shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Now in our Revelation account, he says, The blood came out of the white winepress, even under the bridles of the horses. That means about four feet deep. And the length of the river is described by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That's 185 miles from Dan to Beersheba in the land of Palestine. So, the world has yet to see the bloodbath that's going to occur at the end of the tribulational period. Revelation 19.5 says, And the voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. Our responsibility today as believers, as sojourners, foreigners not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals, our responsibility is to inform folks about God's plan and how the events that we are seeing take place today are paving the way for those last two dramas, the one in heaven and the one on earth, to take hold. We need to take a moment. We need to really really realize the awesome judgment that is about to be visited upon the earth and understanding our spiritual gifting and evaluating the circumstances as they occur in our everyday life, those are divine appointments that God has set up for us to do the business of the King. It may be just modeling the life, a friendly word, a smile, or perhaps sharing with them about what we're doing up here on the hill on Sunday mornings. Our spiritual gifts and the circumstances that we encounter day by day will define what we are to be doing day by day as God opens the door and gives us opportunity. The Jews will have seven more years once we are taken to heaven But you see, the bloodbath at the end of that seven years, the unbelievers, those that, yes, there will be multitudes saved during that period of time, but the bloodbath (laughs) described here, perhaps uh, some hyperbole, uh, when it says four feet deep and uh, 185 miles long, but... That's the graphic presentation of what can be expected at the end of the tribulational period. But of course, for us, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for whosoever 
shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have the message. We have God's guidance, God's deliverance, God's provision. And in those things, we need to be found faithful.